So like uh, Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick had a really cool trailer that got everybody pumped about the movie. And I was like, we could have a cool Jonah trailer that would get you all pumped about. The... <laughs> anyway, ah, good to see you, whether you're here in the room or joining us online. I'm just absolutely thrilled to have you along for the ride. Um, and by the way, a special welcome if you are here for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Uh, you didn't know it when you drove into the parking lot or clicked online today, but you couldn't pick a better time to join us at Keystone because this weekend we begin a new series. It's called Jonah, More Than a Fish Story. Uh, and I'm super excited about it because honestly, uh, the story of Jonah is one of the most misunderstood stories in the entire Bible. And it contains a message that I would argue has never been more relevant than it is right now, like in our cultural moment. And for the next few weeks, I can't wait for you to see what I mean by that. All right, so to get us going, I want to ask you a question that may, in fact, take you all the way back to your childhood. Uh, the question goes like this. Have you ever run away from home? Don't slip up your hand. It's okay, right? Like you just one day got so fed up, you threw your hands in the air, you said some insensitive things, you put on your backpack, and you stormed out the front door, right? Um, and if my admittedly dysfunctional relational network is any indication, this happens all the time. And most of my friends would say too, when they, when they left their house and they stormed out the door and like the storm door slammed on the way out, they had no idea they were where they were going too. They just knew they were going away, Right? And what's funny is when I hear stories of people who've run away, uh, the details are so eerily similar. They talk about days and seasons of frustration with their parents. One day they reach a breaking point and they're gone. It's an incredibly common experience to run away. Uh, okay, so here's another question to kind of get us moving this morning. And this one goes like this. Have you ever tried to run away from God? Have you ever tried to run away from God? And, and, and again, in my experience, this generally happens after childhood. And a few of you are like, you don't know my children. I hear you, right? It's cool. Uh, but and to be fair, running away from God isn't quite like running away from home. Uh, running away from God happens whenever you know better and do it anyway. It's when you, you turn down the volume of your conscience by sort of convincing yourself that, that God is the creator of heaven and earth and probably has much better things to do than to be very concerned about me and my decisions. He's powerful, but he's not really all that personal. And, and so when we do that, we sort of adjust our theology, how we think about God, in order to allow us to do the things that we want to do. And deep down, we know that doing those things is wrong, but we still want to do them. And so we do. And when we do them, whether we recognize it or not, we are functionally trying to run away from God. Just a few examples to kind of tease out the concept. Um, some of us in an honest moment would admit that we've tried to run away from God into a toxic relationship. Like we were in high school or we were in college or we were out of college and, and we sort of knew that God desired us to find a relationship with someone who shared our faith and our convictions about how the world worked. But when we met him or when we met her and learned over coffee that they didn't really share our faith or our convictions, something deep inside of us thought, well, I mean, anybody can become a follower of Jesus and develop stronger convictions, right? But not everybody can be so cute. Yeah, right? So we thought, well, 
I guess I'll just pursue a relationship with them and try to sort of convert them and convince them to see things the way I see things. And then we can build our relationship on sort of a common foundation. But it, of course, when we do this, uh, we functionally, and, we, and again, we don't realize we're doing this, but we put our trust in something other than God. We sort of put our trust in God on hold. Like, God, I believe you and I trust you about where life is found, but in this one sliver of my life, I just want to try to do things my way. And when we do that, we functionally try to run away from God. Others of us might say, um, you know, we sort of ran away from God. We never thought about it that way. But, but, you know, we're pretty strong in our faith, but we found ourselves engaging in some pretty sketchy financial situations. And deep down, there was this voice that kind of cried out and said, you know, I don't think God would really be a fan of this. We shouldn't be a part of this, but, but we did it anyway. And, and when we did it, um, it's not like we totally abandoned our faith in God. Like we, we sensed the tension, but in that particular situation, we just said, you know, I want to do, do things the way I want to do them. And so we sort of tried to run away from God. And, and if we got in trouble, if things fell apart or we got exposed in, in the sketchiness of it all, you know, we still prayed and asked God to fix the mess that we behaved ourselves into. That's a common human experience. Maybe it's just me, right? Um, but like until that happened, we were resolved to do what we wanted to do, even though we knew it wasn't what God would want us to do. And I say all that because for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about running away from God by exploring the life of one of the most famous runaways in history, a man named Jonah. And, and I'm well aware that as soon as, I, as, soon as you saw the, the word Jonah on the screen, you thought of a guy who was eaten by a whale, right? And then got barfed up on a beach three days later. But here's the thing, and this is going to surprise some of you, Jonah isn't primarily the story of a whale encounter. It's the story of someone running away from God and how God responds to someone running away from God. And here's why I think that's such a big deal. I'm actually convinced that all of our stories in some way intersect with Jonah's story because eventually all of us run away from God in one way or another. And, and so like my hope in this series is that as we explore how God interacts with Jonah, we'll get some clues as to how God will want to respond to us when we run. And this could be super relevant for some of us today because, man, we're here because we're running and we feel like we're getting in a lot of trouble and we thought, well, maybe I'll go to church and see if I can find an answer. And you're like, I can't believe we're doing this series right now. Did they know? Did, did somebody call Brady and tell him? And yeah, God told me. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. Yeah. So here's a little background on the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet who worked for God 750 years or so before the time of Jesus. And in ancient Israel, he was a group, there was a group of people, these prophets, and they basically were assigned to carry messages from God to other people. And during that period of human history, the prophets had terrible jobs. Like no one would sign up for them. He sort of got recruited. They were sort of like the army rangers for God. They were repeatedly sent into difficult environments to deliver messages that no one wanted to hear, right? You sent into a difficult environment message that no one wanted to hear. And I know what you're thinking. Growing up, you called people that did stuff like that parents, right? I mean, that's fair. But, but seriously, if you stop and think about it, um, isn't it true in your own life that every once in a while, God seems to send a prophet into your life. Like, like somebody sort of shows up out of the blue and says, I, I know it's none of my business, but I kind of need to say something to you. And, and it wasn't any of their business, but it was something that you really needed to hear. And you probably resented it in the moment, and then later you were thankful for it. But that's the sort of thing that prophets in the Old Testament did. 
And uh, you should also know that Jonah had a particularly difficult job because, well, God didn't send him with a message to the people of Israel. The Old Testament is, is full of books written by prophets who were sent to the nation of Israel, to those people, and that was hard. But at least the people, uh, those people who got the message from the prophets believed in the same God. They had the same foundation. They had the same grid. But, but see, God came to Jonah and gave him a really challenging assignment. He told him to go to a city called Nineveh to deliver a message. And in Nineveh, the people had a completely different worldview. Uh, they weren't God's chosen people. And so when God bring, or when Jonah brings a message from God to those people, it pretty much comes without any sort of context. Nevertheless, God sends Jonah to Nineveh, a city which served as the capital for an ancient empire called Assyria. And he wanted him to tell the people there that basically that the creator of heaven and earth is sick of your sin. And so you need to repent or he's going to judge you. And so that's the assignment Jonah gets. And upon receiving the assignment, you should know that Jonah would have thought something like this. God, can't we just skip the warning part and get to the judgment part? Because the people of Nineveh, the people of Assyria, they're awful. We hate them. I mean, we're not supposed to hate, but we really strongly dislike them with lots of vigor and passion, right? And we have good reason for it, God. I mean, you know this, but like, like in, the, in, in that time, the ancient Assyrians were a constant threat to Israel, and they were really nasty people. And I'm going to give you the PG version. If you're curious, you can find more on Wikipedia, which is always a trusted source. But uh, the, the Assyrians had actually discovered how to remove the skin from a person while they were still alive, which is gross, <laughs> but also an important bit of context, because when God tells Jonah to visit Nineveh and tell, to tell them to turn from their sins, Jonah responds that he doesn't want to and he's not going to. So he runs away. So now with that bit of background, here's how the narrative of Jonah's life begins. And it's found in the Old Testament. It's actually only a thousand words long. So if you want to like say, I read a book of the Bible this week to impress your neighbor, Jonah is your jam, okay? So here's what the author of Jonah tells us. He says, the word of the Lord, so the word of God came to Jonah, son of Amatai, and here's what he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And then we get this, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. You're like, ooh, Tar we'll get there, don't worry. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship boarded for that port and after paying for the fare, he got aboard and sailed for Tarshish, and this is key, to flee from the Lord. So it's funny, we don't think Jonah might have run away from God. It actually says that's exactly what he was doing. And it's easy to miss um, if you don't understand the geography, but when Jonah decided to run from God, like he really ran. I mean, I brought a map to show you what I mean. So Jonah goes to Joppa, which is in Israel. It, uh, today it's the city of Tel Aviv, where if you fly into Israel, you land in Tel Aviv. It's again, ancient Joppa is modern Tel Aviv. Um, and Nineveh is a city that's 550 miles sort of northeast. It's in modern-day Iraq. Um, so that's, that's where he was supposed to go. Uh, but you say, well, where's Tarshish? Well, Tarshish is way over here, like 2,500 miles to the west, right? In other words, Jonah ran as far as he could in the other direction. This was not a subtle act of rebellion. Like from the perspective of the ancient world, um, Jonah bought a ticket and got on a boat sailing for the ends of the earth. And his message to God again couldn't have been more clear. Hey, I'm running away. I'm not going to do 
what you told me to do. Now, I think if we're honest, there's a little Jonah in all of us, right? I mean, reflecting back on our life, there was a time when God told us to go north and we went south, or God told us to go east and we went west. And he said, he said to us, you know, I don't want you to get involved in that, and we got involved in that. Or he said, I want you to stay away from her, and we moved towards her. We've all had seasons when we decided that we wanted to do what we wanted to do instead of what we knew what God wanted us to do. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, like I've spoken to and spent time with many, many runaways over the years. And I've been a runaway myself more than a few times. And, and I've noticed that there are some themes that emerge when you hear the story of people who run from God. And with the rest of our time, I just want to kind of organize it this way. I want to show you three of these themes or observations that come from talking to people who are runaways and having been a runaway myself. So the map we just saw illustrates the first point, and it goes like this. When people run from God, they tend to run to the strangest places. I mean, think about it. Jonah decides to run from God by getting on a boat. <laughs> like he tries to run from the creator of heaven and earth by heading into open water. <laughs> And moreover, the boat is going to be at sea for like the longest possible time. It was the long-haul flight of the ancient world to Tarshish from, from Joppa. It's a strange move. It's a dangerous move. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jonah isn't the only one who does stuff like this. Like I think of friends who decided to run away from God by getting married. Now, getting married is not running away from God, so save your emails, right? But there are those scenarios, and you've had friends like this, where you're like, I don't know that that's the right thing to do in that situation. And you're looking at them and going, well, are you kidding me? Like, this is fraught with potential peril. Like, what are you doing? And I've also seen people who've decided to run from God by getting divorced and then immediately entering a different relationship. Or, or I think of people who run into all kinds of debt and their friends, like, watch them and they say, wow, I think if I were going to completely you know, separate from my faith and shut down my faith. I'm not sure I'd do that. Like, you're going to get hurt. But see, that's what runaways do. They run from God to the strangest of places. And, and here's why I think that's the case. When we run from God, we run from the source of wisdom and truth. Like, if God is wisdom and truth and we run from God, then we're running from wisdom and we're running from truth. And when you disconnect yourself from wisdom and truth, you tend to make unwise decisions. And you experience the challenging consequences of those unwise decisions. And moreover, when you run, you probably turn down invitations from people who love you and want to talk to you because they're concerned for you. Have you ever done this? Like, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and there were times I would reach out to a teenager who disengaged from youth group. And they would say, you know, oh, I'm busy. And what they meant was, I'm in rebellion and don't want to talk to you or look at you, right? Or maybe it was a, a season where you were in college and, and you had been really active in a campus ministry and you were very plugged in and serving and, and, and really involved and invested. And all of a sudden, you know, something happens in your life and, and you just, you unplugged. And they reached out and they texted you and they Facebook messaged you and they Instagrammed you and they Twittered you, whatever that is, right? Yeah, and, and you just kind of ignored them because... Well, you were in a season of rebellion and you didn't want to hear it. Or maybe you're an adult and you've been in a small group for a long time. And, and one day you make a decision and all of a sudden, every time you're with that group, that group who's been holding you spiritually accountable, like you, you don't like how it feels. And so you just sort of stop coming and you tell them, you know, hey, I, I just got busy. But the real reason, like deep down, the real reason is that you've decided 
you're going to kind of stiff arm God. And you don't want to hear it. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what Jonah did. I mean, he was the cartoon example of it. He ran to a place that made no sense at all. Which brings us to what is God going to do with, a, with, a, with somebody who is in absolute rebellion and has total clarity. We don't always get that, but total clarity that he's rebelling. The next three words in Jonah's story are so powerful. Check them out. They read like this. Then the Lord. In other words, Jonah runs and God pursues. Jonah runs away from God. God doesn't abandon Jonah. God moves towards Jonah in, in an interesting way. But I'm telling you, if my life and experience are any indication, when you run, when I run, we will eventually find ourselves in a then the Lord moment as well. And it's actually a really good thing. And we'll get to, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But the story continues. Then the Lord says, sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. He goes on, all the sailors were afraid and, and these were guys that had done this trip, by the way. This would have been like a normal thing for them. So it was a really bad storm. And each cried out to his own God and they threw cargo into the sea, which means the, as far as like the money that they're getting to transport the goods, that's gone. They're worried about their lives to lighten the ship. It goes on. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? right? I love this. It's like, in other words, a captain runs down into the bowels of the ship and looks at Jonah and kind of shakes him and says, Jonah, dude, of all the things you should be doing right now, you're sleeping. You've got to be kidding me. We're going to sink. We're going down. It's like, you've got to, you've got to help us. We're not going to reach our destination. We might die. And like, this is a bad time to take a nap, right? He goes on. He says, get up and call on your God. I don't care who it is. We need help, right? If anybody's listening, dial the number, right? Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. I think we're all on the same team. That would be a good deal, right? But, but I love this scene because it actually brings us to the second thing that I've noticed about runaways, and it goes like this. Runaways are often the last people to make the connection between actions and consequences. Have you ever noticed this? You get a friend in rebellion and their life starts falling apart and eventually they reach out to you and you're like, my goodness, what's been going on? And they're like, I have no idea. And you're like, I have some thoughts, right? I don't think you want to hear them, but, but I'm telling you, it's, it's often difficult to see the connection between our choices and our consequences in the mirror. But others, friends, outsiders can see what's going on in your life as it unravels. And it's crystal clear to them what happened. But runaways, when we're, when we're rebellion, we just can't see it. So, so like in the story, the storm rises and Jonah goes into the belly of the boat and falls asleep. And he doesn't seem to make the connection between the trouble the boat is experiencing and his attempt to run from God and, and, and that happens in our lives too. It's like the storm blows into our lives and the people who love us the most will try to make the connection between our actions and our consequences and they'll make them before we do as well. They may even try to be a prophet in our lives and say something like, let me help you connect the dots. And then you'll probably, if you're like most of us, you'll try to deny the connection. But I'm telling you, when we're running from God, we just often can't see that connection. And our friends can see it. 
And sometimes our kids can see it. And sometimes our parents can see it. But we just can't. And so Jonah goes to sleep. And the captain wakes him up to join the prayer meeting up on the deck. We'll skip the worship. Let's go right to prayer, right? And they need him to pray to any God he can because without divine intervention, again, they're going down. And so Jonah prays. But his prayers go unanswered, just like the prayers of the sailors. And so they do something that we don't do anymore very often, but they did something that they did often in the ancient world. They got some lots out, which are basically like ancient dice, and they would roll the dice and sort of ask the gods to, okay, tell us who is the problem. Like, we need intervention here. Um, and, and somebody must be doing something to make somebody angry, so, so who's the one? And they cast lots, and everything points to Jonah. Like he's in the back kind of looking at his shoes, right? Or his feet if he's not wearing shoes, whatever. Yeah, and they look at him and they go, what did you do? And he answered them. He said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. At which point Jonah probably paused and thought to himself, why the heck did I think it would be wise to get on a boat when trying to run from the God who made the sea, right? That doesn't make any sense at all. But Jonah tells the man his story, like how he was supposed to go left and he went right. He was supposed to go east and, and he went west. And then he says, listen, if you want to save this boat, you just got to throw me overboard. And, and it's so interesting how they respond. They look at him and they go, but Jonah, you'll die. In fact, the author of Jonah records this detail, and I absolutely love this. Check this out. The men, as in the sailors, the pagans, the people who don't know God, did their best to row back to land. They're like, if you're the problem, we want to help save your life. And that's a really interesting moment. You got to remember, like, these sailors, again, who didn't know God, are going to do everything they can to demonstrate compassion, grace, and mercy to someone who was the cause of their problems. Well, the prophet of the one true God, God's man, was running from his God-ordained mission because of his unwillingness to demonstrate compassion, grace, and mercy to people who didn't know God. It's fascinating. It's like a massive inversion of expectations. And the other piece of data that's really interesting, remember, Jonah's in the Old Testament, which means Jonah's in the Hebrew Bible, which means Jonah is something that the Jewish people have studied for thousands of years. And the story of Jonah has been told to generations of Jewish people for thousands of years. Because they saw something in it that was way more than a fish story. It was kind of a wake-up call to remember who you are and who you are to be in the world. I think this bit of data actually is, is why the Jonah story was told and retold and retold. But we'll, we'll do a little more on that in, a, in future weeks. But anyway, um, as they were rowing, the storm got worse and worse and worse. And so, so the guys decide... Um, the sailors kind of get together, they have a meeting, they don't invite Jonah, and they say, um, hey, I think the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one here, right? And, and, so, and so the author tells us, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And as I imagine, like, what happens next, Jonah immediately starts treading water, because that's what I would do, and the sea around him begins to calm. And as it becomes calm, I imagine somebody in the boat saying, hey, we should rescue Jonah. And someone else looks back and goes, no, <laughs> no, right? 
like not letting him back on this boat. Remember, did you see how quickly the sea went calm? I don't know how this God thing works, but that was pretty amazing, right? We need to stay far away from this guy. But, but I love what happens next. This is the most famous part of the story, and it begins again with three very powerful words that read like this. Now the Lord. So first, then the Lord, but now the Lord. So if Jonah was just supposed to get punished and drowned for his disobedience, the story would end here. It'd be like, and Jonah went, blub, 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 end of story, right? But that's not what it says. Now it says, then the Lord. In other words, God wasn't done with Jonah after he ran. And he wasn't done with Jonah after he got thrown overboard. And he isn't done with you when you run. He isn't in the business of abandoning disobedient people. And that, coming from a disobedient person, is really good news. In fact, that may very well be what a few of you needed to hear this morning. There's something going on in your life and you're like, dude, I've gone too far. I've done too much. There's no way that God would ever have me back. And Jonah carries a very, very different message. And it's a message of hope. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, God isn't done with you. He wants to rescue you. And he may even, and this is tough, leverage the circumstances that are challenging, that flowed from the choices that you made to help rescue you. In fact, in Jonah's case, here's what we read. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, which to be fair is a really strange way of being rescued. Can we just all admit that, right? Did, you know, like, did not see that coming, but I knew the story, I saw it coming. But that's a weird, you know, you tell your kids, you're like, whoa, big fish, not going swimming ever again, right? Yeah, it's a strange way to rescue somebody, but as it turns out, very effective. Check out the next verse. The author tells us, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. He picked up the red phone. Huh? He's running from God. He's not praying to God. He's like, God who? Don't know God, right? And then all of a sudden, he's like, wait a minute. Um, yeah. So he prays. And in my notes, I, I was like, when I was writing this, I said, I, he says, Jonah prayed for, I wrote, I bet he did, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because <laughs> in this moment, Jonah recognized something that every runaway eventually discovers. And it's our third observation. It's actually our big idea today. And it goes like this. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God, right? There's a great, uh, great verse in the Psalms, which are ancient Psalm book of Israel. It says, where can I go from your presence? Like, where can I hide from you? Answer, nowhere, Right? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the depths of the earth, you're there. Like, God, you're, I, I, can't, I can't ever outrun you. I have seasons in my life when I pretend that I can, but I really can't. And specifically, you can't outrun God's love for you because he is and has always been relentless in pursuing prodigals. He's relentless in pursuing runaways. And again, reflecting on, you know, interacting with people's stories, sometimes it seems like God waits in order to let consequences play out so that we can learn that way. And sometimes he does intervene, but he never abandons the people he loves and he loves everybody who's made in his image, which is to say, everybody. And I mean, I mean think about this. God prepared a fish to rescue Jonah from his rebellion and God will prepare something to rescue you as well. And here's why I can say that with such confidence, like whoever you are, whatever you've done, the authors of both the Old Testament and the New Testament remind us that God views people as his children 
And he invites us to relate to him as a heavenly father, to trust that he wants to be in restored relationship with us. And as a father disciplines the children he loves, so we're told that God will discipline us, not to harm us, but to rescue something in us. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, will God chase Jonah down not to pay him back, but to win him back? And that's a critical distinction. That, that, that's a distinction that changes everything. Okay, so before I let you go, um, I want to talk specifically to the few of you who are here this morning, um, and I don't know who you are, but if you're honest, you're running from God right now. And if that's you, I want you to know, I want you to know that He is looking for you. In fact, He's looking for you even if you're not looking for Him. And the good news is that He won't stop looking for you. Not because He wants to pay you back for what you did, but because he wants to win you back and he wants to bring you back into a restored relationship. And the reason I can say that with absolute confidence is, is because of Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, like 750 years after the time of Jonah, God sent Jesus into our world to pay for your sins and my sins when he died on the cross so that we don't have to be punished for them. It's like punishment for sin has been dealt with once and for all. Payback has been made once and for all. And from this point forward, God is about winning back and bringing back. Isn't that good news for all of us runaways? Okay, so next week, uh, we're going to pick up the story right here. And in that, just as a brief preview, Jonah prays an absolutely stunning, incredible, beautiful, vulnerable prayer. It's, it's like a prayer of surrender. And I think it's kind of a model prayer for all of us who are currently running from God. And we can't wait to explore it with you. But, but for today now, if you're here in the room, I'd love to invite you to stand. And I'll close our time in prayer. Would you pray with me? Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful reality that you are love and that you are for us and that you want the best for us. And you invite us to move in ways that are often counterintuitive. And you love us enough to let us run. And you love us enough to pursue us when we run. And so I pray for, for friends who this morning would say, I have been running and I'm exhausted. I pray that somehow through this conversation and the conversation for the next couple weeks, they would find the courage to turn around and start walking back home. And I pray that they sense that you're waiting with arms wide open to welcome them. And so this morning, we thank you for grace. We thank you for compassion. We thank you for mercy. And most of all, we thank you for compassion, grace, and mercy embodied in your Son. It is in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. We'll see you next week for part two of Jonah. Amen.